it's an honor to be here with you. And I understand that last week you used the baptismal behind me. Is that correct? Um, you need to understand that, that this church was um, empty. You know that. And the corner didn't have a whole lot of life in it. And um, over the, the last year, um, what the Lord has done, our elementary is over here. We had no playground. We had no real facility over there. And through God's gift and God's graciousness, we're able, in, in less than about six months' time, move the entire school over here. And then entering into a relationship with this church, you took what was um, dry and empty, and you filled it with water. And you're baptizing, and you're bringing people into the kingdom. And the partnership that you showed with us through homecoming, moving our stuff over, um, this church has been inordinately um, giving to our school. And I'm here on behalf of the entire organization to say a heartfelt thank you. Um, and we're, we're exceedingly grateful. So I wanted to open us up just in one more word of prayer. And Father, I pray that you would use this morning, Father, your spirit um, to guide every word and every point of celebration. And we dedicate this opportunity in this moment to bring honor and glory to you, Father. We love you and lift up these thoughts and prayers. Amen. So you're in Mark, right? All right. Well, let's, let's, let's journey through it. You know, um, my family is right there a few rows back, and I have four beautiful children that are fourth-generation Phoenix Christian Cougars. And that um, when, when, when the children were born and my wife, God really used that moment as a defining moment when, when we, we would lay the kids down at night and, and pray over them and look over them and say a prayer over them. And their, their grandfather um, had written lullabies for them. We'd look over them and sing a song of blessing over them. And we'd look down on them in the same way that Jesus felt his heavenly father look down on him when Jesus began his ministry and, and, and John baptized him and we're, we're allowed into this, this the, one of the most intimate conversations, divine intimate conversations ever and that's the Lord looking down on his son and saying, this is my boy and I love him. And if I could translate it, I love him tons. And we're told that a, that a, that a spirit like a dove descended upon Jesus. And what happened in that moment is the same thing I hope is for, hopes for my children and we look down on them when they're in their cribs and we look down on them and they're in their beds now, and we would say, Mom and Dad love you tons. And that's a love that comes from Jesus. And may that love define them. We're told that story in Matthew, Matthew 3, and then it, and then it journeys through, through Matthew 4, where Jesus leaves that, that moment in, in, where, he's, where he's baptized, and he goes off into the desert, right? We're told that story, and he fasts for a season. At the end of that season of fasting... The Lord, what we're, told about, what we're told about Jesus is that he's tempted three times. And the first temptation, I just want to give you an illustration. I think the other two temptations fit into this idea. But I want to try to put a new spin and a new, a new thinking on that, on that moment in Scripture. Satan says, you think you're all that. You say you're all that. You believe you're all that. Well, turn this stone into bread. And I think of a little bit like the athletes across the street. You, you, you want to prove yourself. You know, the Cougars just won on Friday night, by the way, uh, in our first round of the state playoffs. Um, but, there's a, but there's a tendency for all of us, and especially we see it alive and well in the lives of youth across the street, um, prove yourself. Prove us you can do it, and that'll be of your worth. You say you're all that, turn this stone into bread. And what Jesus is saying, as I thought and reflected on this passage for a long time, that doesn't define me. 
I don't have to prove myself to anybody. That doesn't define me. What defines me is the love that my heavenly father has told me. And I'm going to let that define me in, in every moment. And that, for me, if I've got one sermon or one message in me, that's a defining truth that I've learned to live in my life and not let humanity define who I am or what I'm all about. And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a foundation to what I want to lay this morning as we enter and we journey into the scriptures. And as was read before, um, Jesus, there's just three little anecdotes there of Jesus making a point. And one of the things that I want to introduce you and ask you to think about this morning is that what Jesus is entering is in, he's entering into a new paradigm, a new way of thinking, a new kingdom. Um, let go. One of the things that Tim had encouraged me to share with you is that one of the things we want out of the message is to let relationship, our divine relationship with our Heavenly Father define us and let go of some of the shackles that religion can put upon us, Right? And Jesus is this free spirit driven by the love of his father, ushering in and teaching a new paradigm. Some years ago, there was a little book, and it was called, um, the book was called the, the, the Structures of Scientific Revolutions. And the idea in the book is that, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher, right? And so we spend an awful lot of money across the street on textbooks, and textbooks are important things. But one of the things that the guy made a point of in, in the book is that textbooks can be a dangerous thing is because they sort of lay out a paradigm and sort of a way of thinking and the way you sort of have to think about science. And he says, what can happen with textbooks, if you're not careful, is they become, particularly for science, they become sort of like a blinder. He says, even when you, when you think of the technology that we invest in, um, in science, like the microscopes and all the machines that we, we use, they're designed to look at one specific thing and they become a, a, a bit of a blinder. But what's happened in science, the author made the point, is you get people like Einstein, who while he's sitting, on a, he's sitting on a train on his way to work one day, he begins to wonder in his head, what would happen if this train were to travel at the speed of light? And he starts thinking, what would the, what would the, the telephone poles look like as we're, as we're, as we're flying down the, down the way? What would happen? And he began to think about it in his mind, in his own imagination, unshackled by a certain way of thinking about science, but again, in Galileo the same way. The argument is, is that revolutions in science and the way we begin to think in fresh ways and new ways of thinking about science happen when we begin to, to unshackle ourselves from the blinders and allow a revolution of thought to come in. And the scriptures that were read this morning are Jesus asserting that point. Jesus came in. I remember I had a professor once, that he, when we were, I'm a history major, and the, and the teacher was talking once about revolutions. He said, revolutions happen when you come and you, and he flipped the table upside down in class. And he says, revolutions are when you flip and you challenge a total way of thinking. And what Jesus is coming in here is somewhat of a revolutionary, and I want you to think about things in a different way. I want you to think about the kingdom in different ways. And so this, the, the curtain sort of pulls up on, this, on this, this image that we have of Christ, the story that we have of Jesus in the, in the passage that was read this morning in, in the second chapter of Mark. And it has to do with, with fasting. And, and Jesus asks these questions. He says, do wedding guests celebrate or do they fast? One rest in, in, the, in, the, in the New Living was saying, Make a choice. They have to make a choice. In the ESV that Tim likes to teach out of us, Jesus says, they can't fast. It's a point of celebration. I was thinking when I was reading the scripture yesterday and reflecting on it, it's my own wedding. Am I fasting? No, 
I'm celebrating that God's given me one of the greatest gifts I've ever had in my entire life. It's a point of celebration. It's a point in that moment with the disciples, and they're defined by relationship. He talks about working on the Sabbath. He said, the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made, made to meet the needs of the people, not the needs of the Sabbath. And the other illustration that he gives there, one of the greatest journeys that I still feel like I'm an adolescent at, but one of the greatest journeys of thought that the Lord is teaching me is the power of the spiritual discipline. When we, when we pass the baskets and we give, that's a discipline saying, it's not my money, it's God's money. When we fast, Jesus is speaking about fasting. It's to say, man, as he says when he's tempted, by the way, man doesn't live on bread alone. When we sit this morning, I was challenged in my own private quiet time this morning, how often do I wait on the Lord? Do I set aside my sense of urgency and my to-do list and I sit down and I just wait and I allow the Lord to move? And there's no final complete list of disciplines. The list could go on and on and on and on forever. And all spiritual disciplines are, are an opportunity for us to make greater room within our heart and within our soul for the Lord to move and the Lord to operate. And we, we're, drawn into places, we're drawn into places of intimacy. Jesus came as a revolutionary to say, listen, this deal with God is all about relationship. All week long, this last week, when I was working with the faculty, and I caught it coming out in the prayers in my, in my own life and in the prayers for the team that I serve with, is that we would be defined more by our relationship. Let our relationship define, and here's a beautiful word to think about it through, let the relationship that we have with God inform everything that we're about. Jesus, help me here. Before I start acting, what would you do? You know, there's an old story of Mother Teresa when she was being interviewed by Dan Rather, right? And, and Dan Rather says, well, what do you say to God when you pray? And she says, I listen. And Dan Rather, not fully wrapping his mind around, the, so well, what does God say back to you? And she says, he listens. And to enter into a, 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 a relationship with God, we don't even always feel compelled like we have to say something, but just to be present, to wait on him, and let that relationship define and inform and guide everything, everything that we're about. Jesus comes as a revolutionary, offering in a new paradigm. If you want another word for it, Jesus comes. You know, if you were to ask Jesus, he said, what is, what is your mission? School has a mission statement. Phoenix Bible has a mission statement. Jesus, what is your mission statement? I often am convicted that Jesus would say, my mission is to tell everyone that the kingdom of God is near that the kingdom of God is at, is at hand. I love what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. The scriptures tell us that the first Adam became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-changing spirit. All right, here's Adam. It's the beginning of humanity. Adam and Eve, they get it wrong. Now think about this with me for a minute too as we're talking about paradigms and kingdoms. Adam comes and, in, and we're told we don't know how much time necessarily passes before sin creeps in. But Adam and Eve, when they determine to walk away from God in his kingdom, from his paradigm, from his way, 
they begin to live in their own kingdom. They begin to live in their own queendom. I like to share with the teenagers across the street. Everyone's trying to build their own kingdom. There's kingdoms and queendoms, right? But what the scriptures tell us is we enter into the abundant life that the Lord promises in John 10.10 when we let go of our kingdoms and we embrace the Lord's kingdom. We let go of our queendoms. Adam and Eve pursued their path. Abundant life was swept away for the moment. Jesus comes as the new Adam. And Jesus says, watch me. We sung it here. The way, the truth, and the life. Watch and walk behind this revolutionary as he ushers in a new paradigm, a new way of thinking, a new order. Look back at his question that he gives there in the second chapter, verse 19 of Mark. Do wedding guests fast while they're celebrating the gospel? No. It is all about relationship. I don't know why, but for the last week, I've had this story on my heart, and I wasn't sure if the Lord wanted me to share it with you or not. It's got a little bit of an edge to it. But when the AIDS epidemic hit New York and hit the homosexual community um, and the entire country began to react and engage and wrestle and the church began to wrestle with it, there was an individual in New York who was dying and he died of AIDS. And he was a homosexual and they couldn't find one church to perform the funeral. And finally there was this little church tucked in the corner of a, of a borough of New York and they knew the pastor and they went to him and said, would you do it? And he said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he went and he did it and he did it somewhat sheepishly while he did it. And only a few people sat in the back corners of the church that came for this guy's funeral. And then they all got in the, in the vehicles and they went out to the, into, the, into the graveyard to bury his body and they're standing around and there's rain and the pastor, again, sheepishly kind of holding back, struggling for what to say and not wanting to say too much. What do you do with this? This doesn't fit the way that I've been told to live and the way to operate. And they lower the body in the ground. And finally, one of, one of this fellow's friends looks up and says, isn't there something more you can say? And he turned to the eighth chapter of Romans and he had this thought in his heart you're right isn't there something more I can say that the kingdom of God is revolutionary and it begins you begin to enter into the kingdom you begin to enter into the new paradigm through reconciliation again the theme this morning is all about relationship not about the rules that we as humanity begin to put on things but his relationship defined with our Savior. And the pastor began to read the passage. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I'm at the end of Romans, Romans 8, verse 35. Can anyone ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us? Or if we have any trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened to death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed Every day, we were being slaughtered like sheep. And as he began to read this passage, he began to become more and more convicted that a pastor's role, a spiritual leader's role, and by the way, we're told in Second Peter that all of us are part of the royal priesthood. 
He began to speak with conviction, conviction that his role was to be an ambassador of light and hope to the most broken. And he began to read the scripture for, with conviction. Am I convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor fears for today nor worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed. Nothing in all of creation has ever been able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he closed his Bible with conviction and a sense of peace he hadn't known before. But begin to open up an opportunity to enter into relationship. I would believe that not even Satan is able to disagree with the the Apostles' Creed. But what separates you and I from the darkness of hell is that we enter into relationship with Jesus and submit our lives, our kingdoms, and our queendoms down to him in relationship and allow that relationship to inform us as we move out as followers of Christ into a broken world that desperately needs Jesus. I'm calling you this morning, the Lord is calling us this morning to enter into a journey, into a relationship. Notice that Jesus doesn't dismiss fasting. That's not the point, he says. The point is, is it's all about relationship. It's all about submission. One of the beautiful things that's happening across the street at Phoenix Christian is we've got over 30 students from all around the world. And in particular, a, a certain group are the Chinese. And really, the Chinese are particularly interesting for Phoenix Christian because when we first started serving the Chinese community, that was our first step into becoming a missional school. And let me tell you, I want to share with you that the school took a radical step 10 years ago and became a missional school, and that cost us. It cost us financially. It cost us numbers. But if we had the choice, we'd do it all over again out of submission to Jesus Christ. One of the things that the Chinese will say often, and they'll sit in these chairs where you're sitting for chapels, is they'll listen to what we say as Christians, and they'll call it, it's your fairy tale. It's really not true, but somehow you guys believe in it, but we all know it's really a fairy tale. And there's a rare Chinese student that will enter into the relationship with Jesus and allow that to define him. And there's a a young man across the street who's his own mother has left him and disowned him out of his submission to Jesus. The father has become a Christian, but the mother has left. And even out of pure persecution, remember what it was like in high school, this this young boy has determined to be submitted to Jesus. And he leads, amen, and he leads Bible studies on campus. And by the way, they get to choose their American names when they come to school. And he had a really tight buddy here who would do it with him. He chose the name LeBron. (laughs) Right? And Richard and LeBron were leading Bible studies to their peers who weren't always in agreement. Agents of light, agents driven by submission and abandon. Our students this year chose a theme of New Year, New Me. And every year when they choose their theme, the more I thought about it, the more they're asking us, show us what does it mean to have a new life? They're asking for a fresh start. And so here's Jesus walking around, 
And there's these three illustrations that, that what we've read this morning that we're going to look at. And at each time I see Jesus says, you want a new life? You want the abundant life? Let me teach you a few things on this. And what I want you to notice in the passage that was read this morning, in those three different illustrations of Jesus saying it's not about the rules, it's about relationship, I want you to hear, again, the scriptures, the scriptures just aren't jumbled together. We know that, right? There's some logic and there's some intentionality in the way that they've woven together. And the more I read the passage, the more I pick up on the cadence and the conviction of Jesus, making a point Let's go back again to the opening passage. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. There was this question about Jesus was, was going to heal this guy or do some work or the, on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, listen, I've told you about fasting. Now I'm going to tell you about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And I'm reading now from the, from the New Living Translation. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath exclamation point. And I sense a little bit stronger conviction. Jesus is saying, I've got a point to make. I'm going to flip the table upside down. I want to make myself clear. This is not about human rules. This is about a life defined by a divine relationship. There's this passage that scares the pejeebies out of me in John. When we're going to see John, we're going to see Jesus in judgment. And he's going to say to some, away from me, I never knew you. Whoa. And that word know has the connotation of a very intimate knowledge of another being. Do you know him? Are your lives defined by intimacy? Do we spend time with him? Do we invest? Do we listen? Can we hear his heartbeat? We're often told in scriptures that his voice is still and small. You know, I told you, part of the idea this morning is this idea of a new paradigm and a new order and a new way of thinking. A couple years ago, we just, a year and a half ago, we decided to enroll a Muslim student at a Christian school. Whoa. And so here he comes up to us. His name is Mokhtar. And Mokhtar is almost seven foot, right, coach? Big boy. <laughs> Hi, Mokhtar. And he's just as thin as can be, but he's all muscle. He is all muscle. And he came up to us, at, we take the whole high school up to retreat. And he comes up to us, he goes, I'm going to need a place to pray to Mecca. Ah, oh, gee, you know, it's a Christian school, and we, we typically don't do that, <laughs> right? But I thought, you know what, we, we're, I'm an American, and I believe in religious freedom. Mokhtar, if you need to pray, we're going to find you a spot. And what we came to find out, what Mokhtar was doing, and again, I want to I introduce the idea of we're driven by relationship with the Lord, not by the rules, I think if some of the board members were there, I might have been looking for a new job. But we allowed it. And what we came to find out is he was calling his mother who was dying of cancer in Africa. And mom, I found a school that loves me for me, not because I can play basketball. And they love me. Sometime later, one of our students across the street in a moment of dysfunction was poking and making fun at Mokhtar. Mokhtar lost it. Punched him, dropped him like a rock. We had to get the police involved. The next day, Mokhtar was supposed to travel home to see his mother dying of cancer. Police came in. The police officer happened, right? There's no happened, right? We know that, to be a Christian. 
And we said, Mokhtar, we don't think you're going to get to go home. You're going to have to wait until this all gets sorted out. Police officer left the room. Mokhtar looked at us and he said, will you pray your Jesus prayer over me? I need help. I want to go see my mom. And he got down in a pool of tears on the floor of the office. And we prayed over him in the name of Jesus. That police officer came back in. He said, look, I think I see what this is. I know what happened here. You, son, are going to see your mom tomorrow. We're not going to press charges here. I don't know the final story of Mokhtar and if he walks with our Lord. But I do know we provided an opportunity for reconciliation. And I do know we stepped away from the way humans and myself would think sometimes that we need to operate. And we tried to operate by divine relationship with our Heavenly Father. And let that inform the decision making. Reconciliation, right? I wanted to challenge you on something else. I want you to think with me about, so we've talked about Matthew 3, right, with the, with, the, with the baptism of Jesus. We've talked about Matthew 4, with Jesus saying, I'm def- essentially in his actions, I'm defined by relationship with my Father. And then let's journey into Matthew 5 as a way of looking at this Mark passage from another angle. Jesus enters into um, the Beatitudes. This is sort of his, he's on the stage now, he's beginning his public ministry, he's talking about the kingdom. <clears throat> And Jesus starts off, and the very first thing that he says, now in my mind, I've always pictured the 12 disciples around him listening, and he's, he's speaking to them, but we know there's a lot of other people listening in that moment, into, this, in, into the, what became the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus opens that, that, that part, blessed are the poor, blessed are those that mourn, blessed are those that are humble, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in my mind, as I've always thought about this moment, I can see Jesus looking at people in the crowd that were poor in spirit. Kids at Phoenix Christian that would never be invited up here to give a prayer in chapel. Girls that were pregnant too many times in high school. Paul Simon sings about blessed are the spat upon and sat upon the rejects, the broken. And what I don't, I, I, get some, I disagree with some pastors on this passage sometimes, but I don't hear Jesus saying is, if you're poor in spirit, feel free to disagree with me on this one, this is just my conviction. If you're poor in spirit, you get blessed. I don't hear that and I don't see that. What I hear saying is the kingdom of God is open and available. Enter into the relationship. And then when you enter in the relationship, you, you enter into submission and let down of our kingdoms and our queendoms, and we allow revolutions in our own life. And I see Matthew 5 as, as, that, as that paradigm in my mind of flipping the way that we had traditionally thought about it. Again, when you, when you think about um, Jesus, and if you ask him what his mission statement, every parable that he taught, he usually was started off with something like, the kingdom of heaven is like this, and the kingdom of heaven is like that. And I hear what Jesus saying is, the kingdom of heaven is here. Enter into the paradigm. Enter into the revolution. Enter into a life of submission. And the mystery of it all is you find an abundant life in contrast to the evil one who comes to kill steal and destroy there's a there's a boy across the street who never ever would have been allowed into a into a christian school and he struggles 
and we've had to enter into some redemptive discipline that doesn't fit the paradigms of the way things used to operate at a school that can trace its history back over 100 years. But this young boy, his father's in jail for murder and his stepfather's in jail for murder. And then that, that wasn't enough. The Lord, I think, allowed to get this young man's attention, allowed for a season-ending injury on his body. And there's a lot of people, I'm sure, who would have disagreed with our acceptance and admittance of this young man. And it's messy, and it doesn't fit like it should, and it's awkward. But I think we're called as followers to be defined by relationship. How would the Lord? We've, we've been asked, we have families coming from the central corridor in the homosexual community wanting to enroll their, their families at Phoenix Christian. And I've wrestled and I've thought about it. And it's a hard one, and I'm not here to tell you we've got a definitive answer on it, but I am here to tell you that when the little ones came up to Jesus, I don't think he, turned, he would turn one of them away, because I, I know what your father does, or I know what your mother does. I don't see Jesus doing that. He's a revolutionary. It's a new way of thinking. Now look at, go back to Mark. Let's, let's, let's come full circle here. Let's look at Mark 3, 1 through 6. And notice in the passage, and you heard it in there, Jesus talks about being angry. Or the, the scriptures define Jesus as being angry. The cadence, exclamation point. Now he's a little angry, a little agitation in his voice. There's conviction there. There's some fella there with a, with a deformed hand. And Jesus walks out, and he's making some pretty bold statements. And after he makes the statement, again, it's about relationship. Be defined by relationships that your human rules aside. Certainly follow the rules that the scriptures have laid out for us, but let those rules and those procedures and that paradigm be defined by relationship with God. Jesus makes a point, and then after he makes a point, he makes another point, and he heals the man's hand in front of everybody. He's a revolutionary. And you know, when Jesus walked on water, that wasn't the only time he really walked on water. Because everyone in this room understands it's difficult to operate against the way culture thinks we should be. And Jesus keeps his eyes laser-like focused on his father and is obedient to his father. I just love that you guys baptized back here. There was a hole in it, right? And you had to fix it. I don't think it had been used in a long time. You are an answer to prayer. One of the things that John Piper tells us about baptism is that when our bodies are, are put into the water, it doesn't obliterate our bodies. But there's the idea there's this a cleansing and a new life. And that each and every day, you and I are to enter into a, to a baptism of sorts, saying, all right, there's this old way of thinking that I'm still clinging on to, and I have to enter into new way of thinking and a new life, and a new cleansing, and that each and every day is an opportunity to be risen, risen from the water. New life, new continual cleansing, new reminders of what defines me. God's love defines me, not everything else, not the siren calls or the other things that pull for us. You know, in that, in that same image and the beauty of what happened last week, salvation isn't just our souls. Salvation's every part of who we are. 
Jesus came and showed me the way and says, Jeff, I need you to lay down your ways for my ways because I want you to be a better dad. I want you to be a better husband. I want you to be a better educator. And he's saving all these different parts. He came to save far more than just our soul. We get to enter into the first tastes of heavens now. Think about this with me for a minute too. When, When Jesus taught us how to pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, where? Oh, come on, guys. On earth as it is in heaven. We came to be agents of change here and now. And that Phoenix Bible Church and Phoenix Christian get to, be the, get to help be that light and usher into that reality now. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. On earth. I love, I, I, I love to go fishing. We, we took one Saturday off this summer. I didn't get to go fishing. And, and, and to go up to the White Mountains, and there's this favorite lake I love to go to. And wade out in my waders and my, my fly rod. <laughs> and the ripples. And the lake is still and it's like glass. And when that fish comes and take it, and I feel the pull and I bring it in, there's no feeling quite like it. But think about the ripples on the lake. And Jesus entered into human history. and the ripples, and we're living in the ripples of his reality and learning to live by his ways. And the story goes on and on and on, and we're world changers. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I get really discouraged. There's a lot of things that discourage me. But one of the things I hear Jesus saying is stop looking at life from a human point of view. You, church, Phoenix Bible Church, are part of a supernatural. There's no other plan other than that God says through my spirit, the church is going to change everything. Because the mystery is all of us together are like Jesus. Because all of us are different parts of the body, driven by his spirit, out being world changers. And I want to encourage you this morning. And I love to share these statistics. Did you know that 25 years ago, 45,000 children were dying a day of malnutrition? That number is now down to 17,000. Who's doing it? In large measure, it's the church. Building the clinics, sending our missions trips, building clean water pumps. I mean, this church may have even invested in clean water pumps. We all know a church that's doing it. It's the church. 25 years ago, one out of six children had no access to clean water. That number today is down, down to one in 12. Who's doing it in large measure? The church. It's improved 100%. But we don't hear it. What we hear, you know, it's like Billy Graham used to say, I wish, you know, it's like nobody covers all the airplane flights that go right in a day. But by golly, when one crashes, it's all over the news, right? When one pastor has a misstep or one priest has a misstep, it's all over the news. But the news doesn't cover all the things that go right and the success of the church 25 years ago, 80% of the the world's population was illiterate. That number now down is just 20%. Who's doing it? The church. 
the founding of Habitat for Humanity, just in 2017, have now proclaimed that they're housing for the poor 13.2 million, and they've just finished, or they finished a while ago, actually, their one millionth home, a Christian organization serving and being obedient and being driven by relationship with Jesus. Church, we're making a difference, even though when it doesn't feel like it. This morning, even on the way in, I don't have it in my notes. I was thinking about the French underground and the Second World War and how discouraged they must have felt as they're fighting the Nazis and there was no hope. And they said, aren't you going to quit? Don't you want to give up? There's no way you can defeat the Nazis. And they said, oh, but someday, we don't know when, but across the English Channel, an invasion's coming of like the world has never seen. And they're coming, but we have to hold on and we have to hold on with hope. And there's days over at Phoenix Christian, I think there's days probably in your life when it feels like the world's falling apart and nothing makes sense. But we're told in the scriptures, the Lord is coming. And the Lord is coming back. And his spirit that poured out at Pentecost is alive and well in all of us, just in the same way that it poured out on that, on that very first day. And on the way over, on the, on the drive-in this morning, I was thinking about the words from Handel's Messiah. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings, forever and ever, and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah, hallelujah, the king is coming, and he's going to rescue us from all of our brokenness to stay in the trenches, to keep up the good fight, to be obedient, and to know that the Lord is on his way and he's moving. Church, we're making a difference, even though when it doesn't feel like it. We're told a little bit, it's like leaven in Scripture. We're making a change in our world, and often when the leaven's working, you can't see it, but there's changes happening. I've got to be honest with you, last year, we rely heavily on STOs. That's an opportunity for people to participate in tax credits, which enable underprivileged kids to go to a school like Phoenix Christian. The corporate side of that funding was down insane last year. In about March, we were staring down an $832,000 shortfall, just a little short of a million dollars. Back up about 15 years, one of our alumni was driving his elderly neighbor to the doctor because she couldn't get to the doctor. They drive by Phoenix Christian on Indian School. What's that school? Well, that's where I went. Really? Tell me about it. And all the way to the doctor, they talked about it. Her name was Mildred Kennedy, and she turned around in her estate plan and, and put Phoenix Christian. And you know how much money we received from Mildred Kennedy last year when she passed away, almost at the age of 100? $840,000. God's moving, even when it doesn't feel like it. Anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ is a new person, a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And you and I are members of the kingdom. And we've got a responsibility to pursue maximum impact to the kingdom. And I've got to just tell you a teacher story real quick before I wrap up here. Is that okay? Um, Gene Thompson, fourth grade teacher. And, you know, teachers will say they don't have favorites, 
teachers have favorites, right? And little Teddy Stoddard was a rough kid, didn't fit the paradigm, and she should have known better. When she read his records, it said in first grade, promising work for Teddy, but he's got a bad home. She'd open up his file, the second grade file. She'd have seen these words too. He's a little too serious at times. And his mom is sick. Third grade, mom died. And dad is not involved. Teddy's struggling to focus. Fourth grade rolls around. Teddy's an annoyance to the teacher. And Teddy walks up to the teacher one day with a little brown bag at Christmas time. And you know how we all did it. With a little paper bag all wrapped up. And gave his teacher this gift, and she, you know, the kids are all snickering and laughing as Teddy walks up to give the gift. The kids, but she's got enough sense within her, even though she doesn't like him, to hold it together. And she tears open, and out falls this little rhinestone bracelet, and there's rhinestones missing, and it's ugly. And the kids began to snicker and laugh, but she had enough sense within her. She says, "Isn't it lovely? Isn't it pretty? Isn't it lovely?" And Teddy, this little smile came on that kid's face. And then she says, there's something else here in the bag. What is it? And she pulls out, and it's this little quarter, you know, there's like a little quarter of perfume left in this old cheesy perfume bottle, and she has enough sense within her to squirt a little bit on her. And she smells it, and she looks at the class. Isn't it lovely? Isn't it lovely? A little later in the day, Teddy came up to her and just looked at her. And he says, all day long, you looked and you smelled like my mommy. And Jean Thompson, in a moment of conviction, as he walked out the door, she got down at her desk, and she prayed, and God's supernatural spirit, she was a Christian too, by the way, came into that room, and from that moment forward, there was a new teacher. There had been a revolution in her life, and she began to invest in Teddy and help him, and by golly, by the end of the year, his scores started to climb, his, 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 everything started to improve. And this little guy went on. Several years later, she gets a letter. Dear Miss Thompson, I'm graduating from high school, and I'd like to invite you. And she comes, and she cheers him on, and she invests. A little while later, another letter comes. Miss Thompson, I'm graduating from college. It was hard, but I'm third in my class, and I've loved every minute. It wasn't easy, but I loved it. And she said, I'll be there. A little while later, another letter comes. Just so you know, Miss Thompson, my name is now Theodore Stoddard, M.D., exclamation point. I thought you should know. A little while later, later another letter comes. Miss Thompson, I'm getting married. My dad has died. And I want you to come sit where my mom would have sat. The power when we lay down our ways and our narrow ways of thinking and enter into relationship, divine relationship with the Lord is a beautiful thing. And we become outposts for the kingdom, revolutionary and a whole new way of thinking. And I'll go back to the scriptures from Paul. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And you and I get to be members of the kingdom outpost. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, these words are lifted to you as much to myself as to anyone. Help us to lay down our ways of thinking 
and to embrace your ways of thinking. Father, from Sabbath and honoring the Sabbath, which is good for us and we need it, but Father, but may any, everything that we do be defined by relationship with you. So Father, I pray that you show us through your spirit how to enter into intimacy with you and to fall in love with you and be defined by that love and to go out of here walking on water with their eyes fixed on you. You're our guest of honor here, Lord. Be over these two great institutions. Thank you for the life that Phoenix Bible Church has brought to Phoenix Christian. And they're part of your creative hand. We love you, Lord. Amen.